They broke with the previous trends in crime fiction. In Sweden, Steve Trenter dominated the market in the 1950s, along with Maria Long and H.K. Runblom. They wrote detective stories in which solving the mystery was the main concern. In Trenter's books, the streets, pubs, and food are all described in great detail, but the setting is merely the setting. There is never any direct, real-life connection between the crime and the place where it occurred. The British-style detective novel was the dominant form until the publication of Rosanna. Of particular importance was the fact that Chaval and Valu broke with the hopelessly stereotyped character descriptions that were so prevalent. They showed people evolving right before the reader's eyes. Before 1965, I had read several of Per Valu's novels. I recall especially The Lory, which was set in fascist Spain. He wrote well, using a straightforward and simple language that gave his story a certain force. I liked what I read, but the publication of Rosanna signaled something very different. I don't know exactly what it meant for my Cheval to become his collaborator, except that she must have been a source of great inspiration. I have a clear memory that I went back and reread Rosanna after a couple of weeks. I can't remember ever having done that before. Pervala and my Cheval have said that they did find inspiration for their work in the United States. I've already mentioned Ed McBain, but I suspect that they most likely sought inspiration farther back in time at least as far back as Edgar Allan Poe in the 19th century. Many consider Poe's stories from the mid-1800s to be the basis for modern crime fiction. I don't agree. This seems to indicate a serious lack of understanding even today, because the roots of crime fiction go back much farther. Read the classic Greek dramas. What are they about? People and society tangled up in hostilities which lead to violence, crime, and punishment. And there is also an element of crime writing mirrored in the works of Shakespeare. Of course, there aren't any police, but there are investigations, analyses, and attempts to understand who and what lie behind certain brutal crimes. We are continuing traditions, whether we're conscious of doing so or not. In many ways, Rosanna is an incredibly fascinating book. I don't intend to discuss the plot or the resolution of the crime, but let me say that it's probably one of the first crime novels in which time clearly plays a major role. There are long periods during which nothing happens, when the investigation into who murdered Rosanna and threw her into the Utah Canal seems to be standing still. Then it may move a few centimeters before coming to a halt again. It's quite clear that for Martin Beck and his colleagues, the passage of time is both frustrating and a necessary evil. Homicide investigators who have no patience lack a key tool. It takes six months before the crime is solved. By then, we as readers know that it could just as well have taken five years, but the police would not have given up. The book describes the fundamental virtue of the police. Patience. I haven't counted how many times Martin Beck feels sick in Rosanna, but it happens a lot. He can't eat breakfast because he doesn't feel good. Cigarettes and train rides make him sick. His personal life also makes him ill. In Rosanna, the homicide investigators emerge as ordinary human beings. There is nothing at all heroic about them. They do their job, and they get sick. I no longer remember how I reacted forty years ago, but I think it was a revelation to see such real people as police officers in Rosanna. And the book still holds up today. It's lively, stylistically taught, and the unfolding of the story is skillfully planned. Of course, it's a modern classic. It was the first one in the series of ten books that my Cheval and Pere Valla had planned, and even with their very first book, they hit the mark. Henning Mankell Chapter 1 they found the corpse on the 8th of July, just after 3 o'clock in the afternoon. It was fairly well intact, 
and couldn't have been lying in the water very long. Actually, it was mere chance that they found the body at all, and finding it so quickly should have aided the police investigation. Below the locks at Borinsult there is a breakwater which protects the entrance to the lake from the east wind. When the canal opened for traffic that spring, the channel had begun to clog up. The boats had a hard time maneuvering, and their propellers churned up thick clouds of yellowish mud from the bottom. It wasn't hard to see that something had to be done. As early as May, the canal company requisitioned a dredging machine from the Civil Engineering Board. The papers were passed from one perplexed civil servant to another, and finally remitted to the Swedish National Shipping and Navigation Administration. The Shipping and Navigation Administration thought that the work should be done by one of the Civil Engineering Board's bucket dredging machines. But the Civil Engineering Board found that the Shipping and Navigation Administration had control over bucket dredging machines, and in desperation made an appeal to the Harbor Commission in Norchiping, which immediately returned the papers to the Shipping and Navigation.